Into thy presence we come Not by the works we have done But by thy grace and thy grace alone Into thy presence we come Into thy presence we come Not by the works we have done But by thy grace and thy grace alone Into thy presence we come Father, it's only in your presence where we find perfect peace. And thank you that we can come into that presence. And now as we continue, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit, Father, give us the anointing over your words. I know, Lord, your word has already been anointed. The word says it's inspired by you. So even if I do just read the word this morning, we know that you've spoken in this place. So I pray now, Lord, that you touch my mind my thoughts, my lips, my vocabulary. Give me peace and calmness at heart, Lord, to preach Your Word today. And let it be known after this that Your Word has been preached, Lord. Not man's ideas, not man's stories, but Your Word and Your Word alone. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are continuing in our study through the book of John. We are walking with Jesus through this book. We come into certain circumstances, situations, and we see how Jesus react to that. And then we see the response of the people, how they react to what Jesus is doing. And out of that, we learn a lot of lessons. In fact, our Christian walk is built through that. This morning, we come to a place called Bethesda. It's at the Sheep's Gate, and there we're going to find a wonderful miracle that happened. But I want to start off the sermon with this verse, John chapter 5, verse 16. I want you to start there. And then we're going to backtrack to the start of this, this miracle. I've heard this sermon preached so many times about the man of Bethesda. A lot of times the concentration is on the miracle that took place. This poor man that was lying there. And the concentration is on him and on what happened to him. But I want to show you something else in this passage. This passage is more for me about false religion than a miracle. You've got to see this. And this is where I start. I want to give you the key to this passage. And it's in verse 16. It's more about false religion. It's more about what the system do upon people. The tax that a false religious system puts on people, the anxiety that a false religion puts on people, the fear that a false religion puts on people. And you can bracket into this all of those false religions. Roman Catholicism, did I have that decisions right? You know what I'm talking about. You can put Islam in there, Buddhism, any other kind of isms that you can find you can put into this. Just a different perspective of this miracle this morning. So let's read and have a look at that verse. John chapter 5 verse 16, he says, For this reason, 
the Jews persecuted Jesus. For this reason, the Jews... Now, when he talks about Jews here, he's talking about the system, the leadership system. This you will find every single time as you go through the book of John. When he talks about the Jews, he talks about the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the scribes and the Herodians. Those made up the Sanhedrin. So when he talks about, for this reason, the Jews, he talks about the leadership persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him. One would think after a miracle, people will rejoice. That's what we would think. I mean, if we have a wonderful miracle in this place and somebody walks up here and testifies about it, what will we do? Will we persecute that person? Will we sought to kill him? No, we will rejoice. And this is what we thought the Jews would have done. But no, this verse tells us that for this reason they persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. The word persecuted there comes from the Greek word dioko, which means to chase or to pursue or to run down. He did something and now they decided to run him down or to pursue him or to chase him down for one reason and that is to kill him. It says it right there. They now wanted to kill him. And this is the problem here with false religion. This is fired on by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the Herodians. And the sad reality of these religions is that they don't care for people. Have you noticed? A false religion doesn't care for people. They say they care. They put all of these humanity in front, but at the back end of religion, they don't care. They can touch people and give money away on one side, but on the other side, religion kills. Religion kills by law. They bring in their laws to captivate people, to put a bond on people, to hold people, to control people. They don't care for the soul of man. They don't care where you go when you die. They tell lies about where you go, where, when you die, where you go. They tell lies all about this. You talk to a Muslim and they say they go to heaven. What heaven are they talking about? They can't declare a heaven like the Bible can. You talk to a Buddhist, and what do they say about life after this? Have you heard of the word reincarnation? Honestly, I don't want to come back as a, a cow or a monkey or an ant or a cockroach. What's the chances of that? Yet there are thousands of people who are flogging to these false religions. And we can sit here this morning in church and say, yes, look at them. We are not like them. But be careful. Because I'm telling you today that there are many churches under the banner of Christianity who is a false religion. 
We find here Jews. He says, for this reason, the Jews. That's the banner, Jews. But did you know that under the Jews there's a false religion? And then there is the children of Jesus Christ, the Messianic, the ones who accepted Jesus Christ. In the book of Acts they are called the way. And this is the people that Saul of Tarsus later became Paul. He was persecuting the people of the way. So be careful if we want to sit here and blame other religions with names like the Hare Krishnas. And look, I can pick all of these names out, the gurus in the world. We can pick all of them out. But be careful that we do not focus so much on them that we do not look what is going on within the church of Christianity. Because I'm telling you today that Christianity can also become a religion, a false religion. The question this morning is, what are you following? Are you following a religion or are you following a relationship? Therein lies the difference. One man came to me once, he says, you guys are so religious. I said, that's where you've got it wrong. I'm so relationship bound, I said. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, religion follows the ideologies of man and man's laws and man's ideas. But a relationship follows a man. Relationship follows a man who came from heaven, who was God, and who still is God, and lived amongst us. And we've got a relationship with him. You see, this is the key for me to this whole passage about what happened at this place called Bethesda. Now, with that in mind, let's look through the passage. John chapter 5, verse, verse 1. He says, after this, metatauta, that's the Greek word for that. He says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew, Bethesda. Bethesda means house of mercy. Having five porches. I find this really interesting when I read through this because now it's about grace and mercy. He mentions the sheep gate. You know what happened in the Old Testament at the sheep gate? That is where you could buy a sheep for a sacrifice. The sheep became your animal of mercy and grace for your sin, for your offering. So I find it really interesting how the Bible fits all of these things together. I'm not big into numbers, but the number five is a number of grace. But here it all comes together. In these porches in the Old Testament, or in the times when it was built, this was the place where the rich people would hang, uh, hang about. It would be cool in the middle of the day, and they would hang around these places, the porches the entrances, but by now they've moved away because sick people came and they lie at these places. And this is one of these places that John says that when Jesus came there was this sheep gate, there was a pool which is called Bethesda House of Mercy. In verse 3 it says, In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind lame and paralyzed. 
waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first, after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever disease he had. There's a lot of controversy about that verse. A lot of controversy. They found the oldest transcripts. And in, in the oldest transcripts, apparently, I didn't find it, and that's why I used the word apparently, that verse is not there. But the thing is, dear friends, I'm not going to get hanged up on that. When I read in my Bible, an angel came down and he touched the water and stirred the water, that's what I read there. These other translators who came or, or people who, who said it was like a spring, a hot spring, and water would come from the, under, out of, uh, from the earth from underneath and it will make bubbles. And then every time when a bubble made, they went for the water. They couldn't see the angel, this commentator say, but they say it looked as if somebody touched the water and people would go for the water. Remember, we are dealing with a false religion. I'm not saying that is a false religion, but when you were living in those days, you had a lot of things going on. A lot of people saying a lot of things happened. And they say when you go into the water, there was mechanics, mechanicals in the water which gives healing to certain diseases and sores. I don't know, friends. All I know that this is set up for a great miracle. You see, there is so many things that can happen. If the angel comes and he touches the water, it only heals one at a time. It becomes a competition who's going to be first. All of these things started working together. It says then in verse 5, Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. Will you agree with me that's a long time? 38 years he had an infirmity. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? Now some people say that's a strange question. I don't think so. It's not a strange question. And I'll come to that. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. He's starting to blame others. This poor man didn't have any friends. Have you noticed? He had no friends. And every time when he comes close, somebody else steps in. Who do you think you are? Look at me, 38 years lying here. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. And it's at this point where there should have been a rejoicing going on. Would you agree? It's at this point where people should have come together and said, Praise the Lord! Look at this man! He was lying here for 38 years. But you see, they didn't care for him. They didn't look at him. He became part of, as they say, the furniture. Is that happening to you sometimes when you buy something brand new? It takes you 21 days to get used to it. A brand new car? 
for 21 days, you wash it every day nearly, you look at it, you touch it, you drive it, you tell people about it, a new thing in your house, 21 days, and then you get used to it. And by five years, you don't even talk about it anymore, yes? It's just that whole thing. You don't even see it anymore. As you walk in, you just expect it's going to be there. This man was there for 38 years. Sometimes they just expect it's going to be there. Nobody bothered. But Jesus did. There should have been a rejoicing going on now. There should have been hallelujah songs. They should have come around and, and be happy with Him. One would have thought that. But at the end of that verse he says, And that day was the Sabbath. And therein, with your religious eyes, lies the problem. Let's continue in verse 10. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, Come, let's have a rejoicing service. Is that what you read there? No. Look at this now. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. What's going on here? He answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. You see, he's looking for excuses to give them an answer for the accusation, for the penalty. Hey, what are you doing? Walk around with your bed here. Well, it's that guy who cured me who said, take up your bed and walk. And one would think at this point, they would have a rejoicing service, yes? One would think they would say, wow, that is fantastic. Where's that man? Let's have a service and praise God. One would think that. But you see, religion works in a different way. And we see here the works of religion so perfectly played out in front of us. They said to him in verse 12, Who is that man who said to you, Take your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn. Why would you think he would have withdrawn? Because he knew. He knew. A multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, this verse, for this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. How terrible is that? I would have thought, honestly, it's a wonderful miracle taking place. Here is one man that the welfare system didn't have to look after. Well, excuse there wasn't a welfare system then. It was people walking by and giving alms. You know, money or food. One would have thought, you think, this man can now start his life again. Get up. Get a job. Get a family. Live a normal life like everybody else. One would think people will rejoice in that. But not so with religion. You see, with religion, it's all about us and our laws and what we do. Why do you carry this thing on the Sabbath? Well, it was that man who told me to do this. 
And we see this playing out time and time after again with religion. We see three different personalities in the story. Have you noticed? First we see Jesus. And we see His compassion. Do you know this morning that we serve a compassionate Christ? Are you happy this morning that we serve a compassionate Christ? Then we see the Jews. And these Jews only had contempt. Have you noticed that? Why are you carrying this bed on the Sabbath? What are you doing? You're working. Not being happy with Him. Then we find this man, and I want to suggest to you, we see here complacency from this man. This leads to three different results and three different realities. And we'll explore that. Only three things this morning. But such a powerful, deep-founded message about false religion. Let's look at the compassionate Jesus. In Psalm 86 verse 15 he says, But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion. Full of compassion. It is so wonderful to know that we serve a God who is not only God compassion, but you see the word there, He is so full of compassion. That tells me it's a little bit more than just compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and in truth. The word compassion means to have sympathy or to have empathy. Do you know what empathy is? Is to come alongside somebody, to put your arms around them and say, I know how you feel. I've got empathy with you. I've got sympathy with you. This is who God is. He comes to you. He comes to me. And He says, I know exactly what you're going through. I'm here for you. I'm interested in you, not to control you, but to guide you, to help you, to raise you, to lift you up. It's nothing about prosperity, preaching or anything like that. It's about you and your soul. He cares for you. That's the compassionate Christ. That's the compassionate God we serve. Psalm 111 verse 4, He has made His wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Full of compassion. We look at a New Testament one in Mark chapter 8 verse 1. In those days the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called His disciples to Him and said to them, You see, at this point, if this was religion, they wouldn't have cared what you eat. They would have sold the food and you had to pay for it. They would have had a coffee shop in front of the church. You're feeling hungry this morning? We're going to charge you for that. And if you're a church member, you get 10% discount. And if you're a first-time visitor, we'll give you a voucher today, but next week you pay. That's what religion do. It's about them. Here we find Christ in Mark chapter 8 verse 1 and He sees the multitude is very great and having nothing to eat. Jesus called His disciples to Him and said to Him, take up a collection so that we can go and buy food. No, He didn't do that. The Word says there, I have compassion. I have sympathy. I have empathy. Oh, how wonderful is it to serve a Christ who's got compassion. 
If you need compassion, you know where to go to. Go to Him. On the multitude, because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. There's a song that we sing in Pentecost and I love it so much. He says, He had compassion on me. He touched my eyes and now I see. He touched my feet and now I walk in His ways. He had compassion on me. He touched my heart and now I'm free. Praise the Lord, He had compassion on me. Isn't it wonderful to know that He touched my eyes and I can see? Why did He touch your eyes that you can see? Because He had compassion on you. Why did He touch your feet that you can walk in His ways? Because He had compassion on you. Why did He touch your heart that you are free? Because He had compassion on you. That's the Jesus that we serve. But now let's look at this compassionate Jesus in that scene at Bethesda. We see in John chapter 5 verse 5 that there was this certain man at the infirmity for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there, now think about this man, for 38 years, he couldn't walk. I, I reckon he had to crawl every day. From where he was lying, it, it, it might be in a house, it might be out in the street, it might be under a tree, I don't know. But he just says, for 38 years this man came to this place with some kind of hope. For somebody to have compassion. But what did he find? Compassion? He found no compassion at the house of mercy. At the place that's called Bethesda. At the gate of grace, no compassion. Crawled on his elbows, I don't know, maybe sores, the skin came off. Hurt, 38 years came to this place. The sheep gate, the place of grace, the place of mercy. Did he find any mercy? No. Did he find any grace? No. That is what religion does. It will not give you grace and it will not give you mercy. Just lying there. And you know why I know there's no compassion? Because he says it himself. Jesus comes to him. He says, do you want to be made well? And look at his answer. He says, I have no man. What man that gives me compassion? That can come to me and say, today is your turn to go into the water first. How often do you feel that there's no compassion around you? How often do you feel that you go through a certain circumstance and nobody understands? You know, this guy could have written a whole CV about this. He started off, he said, Lord, nobody understand me. He says, Lord, nobody cares. This is what I read in his words. Nobody cares. I've got no friends. He says, no man. There's no man who wants to come to me and be my friend. Listen, dear friends, God has saved us to have compassion inside of us. If Christ is living and dwelling in you and He's the compassionate Christ, then we need to have compassion. How many times do you look upon these people who are struggling, who are poor, and have compassion upon them? In the house of mercy, there's no compassion for this man. 
Jesus comes to him and says, Do you want to be made well? After 38 years, Jesus is stirring up in his heart that he wants to be made well. He says, Lord, there's no one. But while I'm coming, not only that, there is, while I'm coming, they don't even think about me. Another steps before me. Religion has got their own favorites. That's what he does. And then we see the compassion of Christ. In verse 8, Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and he walked. Isn't that wonderful? He gives him a commandment. He gives him an instruction. Today, today after 38 years, compassion has come to you. It is the compassionate Christ who says these words. It's the compassionate Christ who didn't say you have to follow this five-step plan or you have to follow these rules or these things and get better. No, no. He gives him one command. And think about this. There's no rehab that we read about here, do we? No, no, no. In those legs where there was no power, he speaks a word and there's power coming into those legs so that this man can stand up and bent over in that back where there was no power in the lower back. He could bend that back and pick up his bed. Think about that. When he speaks, it is powerful. The Word of God is powerful. How many times do I have to preach and say that, yet people throw it away. They want to listen to it. They want to listen to stories and books. I, I don't care about that. I want the Word of God. It is powerful. In fact, let's go and read one verse about the Word of God. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. And if you haven't got this underlined in your Bible, please do so. Because this is a powerful scripture. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Look at this now. He says, for the Word of God. Look at me, church. What did He do here? Jesus spoke. He says, rise, take up your bed and walk. That's the Word of God. That's the Word of Jesus. Look at this verse here. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the Word of God is what? Living. The Word of God is living. And powerful. It is powerful and sharper than any to its sort, piercing even the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Jesus came to him and he says, Do you want to be made well? He discerned his heart. And then he gave his word back and then he said, Rise, take up your bed and walk. But then come the key to this verse. He says, and that day was the Sabbath. It was on the Sabbath that he did this. You notice that? You see, there is three actions in the command of Jesus Christ. He says, rise up, pick up, and walk. No rehabilitation, immediate strength, immediately. But the Sabbath, 
You was not supposed to do this on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to rise on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to pick stuff up on the Sabbath. And you're not supposed to walk on the Sabbath. That is religion. That's the law. Where do you find this? We go back to Jeremiah, chapter 17, verse 21. Thus says the Lord, take heed to yourself and bear no burden on the Sabbath day. No burden. Nor bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem. Nor carry a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath day. Nor do any work but hollow the Sabbath day as I has commanded you and your fathers. So, you know what? These Jews, these leaders could say, but we, we are doing God's work. And that's what false religion do. They say, we are doing God's work. Look, there's the proof. Let, let's, I can show you, in the, that's my proof. But you see, they twist it slightly. It just needs to, to have a small twist to it. And then people will believe it. What did he mean here? This was talking about commerce. Commerce. This was talking about doing a job to earn. And the reason, and, and why I say this, is to the gates of Jerusalem. That is the place where they board and sell. This is what this was talking about. This was doing a job, working for wages, toiling, laboring. This is what this was meant by. But then this religion came and they just twisted it slightly. It sounded true, but it was not true. It's false. They now said you couldn't... And, and they, look, there's, there's really ridiculous things if you think about that. They said you can walk on a Sabbath, but only 10 meters at a time. Well, it would have taken you a long time to come to church. Well, Sundays is not Sabbath, but let's say... Let's say, that's a whole different sermon which we'll have one day about the Sabbath. But let's say, like they say today is the Sabbath, you would have started what time? I mean, if you live way out where you live, Andre, you can only drive for 10, 10 meters. Let, let's, make it, let's make it 100 meters, and then you have to stop, take a rest. What time did you have to wake up this morning to come to church on time? <laughs> And, and they could only walk 10 meters and then they had to sit. And stand up and walk 10 meters and they had to sit. And look, you couldn't sit on a, on a stool or a chair that makes hole in the ground. Because then you are plowing. You think it's ridiculous? That's true. That's how ridiculous it becomes. You couldn't do anything like that. In those days. And this is what they got these people on. Hens, hens. When they saw this man, they, they called him out on that. You see, religion is one of those things. But here Jesus comes and he stares religion in the face. He's doing it on the Sabbath. He could have done it on any other day. Come, let's face it. How many years did that man come to that place? 38 years. It was a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Sabbaths came and they, they, they came and they gone. He could have waited for the Sabbath to be over and then did it. Am I right? Yes. But he did it on the Sabbath. You see, friends, this is what happens. Law becomes a burden without compassion. That is what law becomes. And man, religion loves law. 
And man likes to have law. You know what? Man likes for you to come, uh, somebody to you to come and say, look, there's ten things you can and cannot do. I'm safe and I'm happy in that. Tell me what I can do and tell me what I can't do. And I'll just walk in. The man is happy to be there. But you see, law kills. Law judges. And it's law that's not going to save you. It's Jesus Christ. So here we find the compassionate Jesus and He runs into the content of the Jews. That's the second group of people. Look at verse 10. The Jews therefore said to Him who was cured, It is the Sabbath. You're not supposed to work. That's what the law says. We're a religion. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. He's fearful. Can you read the fear in him? What is he fearful of? He's fearful that they will excommunicate him out of the temple. He's fearful that they will come down on him with a judgment. And immediately, one would have thought this man is hopping and skipping and dancing around because now after 38 years he can walk. He can run, he can talk, he can do whatever he wants to do. He can go and work, he can run down to the stream and take a swim, cut fish. He can do all of those things. He should have been really happy and set free from his infirmity. But what happens? The minute they started talking to him, fear grabs hold of him. He says, that man who healed me, it's him who gave me the authority to pick this up and walk. So if you want to judge somebody, if you want to penalize somebody, go and seek that man. You see, religion points figures within itself to each other. And this is what happens here. Then they ask him, who's this man that said to you, take up your bed and walk? Why did they want to know who he is? Because they want to penalize him. They want to come down on him hard. But he, the one who was healed, did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. So we find, first of all, the compassionate Jesus, and now we find the contempt of the Jews. You see, they did not care if this man could walk or not. They didn't care about him. I said it earlier on. Religion don't care about you. You're just one of the numbers that adds to them. That's all. They disapproved of what's happened. They were ugly. They were unhappy. They were scornful and they were outright hateful. And they believed that God punished him because of his condition of 38 years. They said every single time, if you think for yourself, if these leaders walk past and that man is lying down here, why didn't one of them have the compassion to walk over and say, let's help you to the water? No, no, no. But they believed he was punished of sins that he did. That's why he was so sick. No. What we will do is we will add more guilt on you. We will make you feel more worse. Why? So that you can trust that we are the Word of God. And that's what religion does. Oh, they'll come down on you even more harder to have more control over your life. They should have gone over to this man, but they didn't, they didn't worry about that. We don't want to see him walk. They want to see him weak. But you see, when God sees weakness, He sees an opportunity. 
You look at me skeptical. Let me show you that you were also weak. Go with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. You see, they want to see him more weak. Religion don't want you to stand up to it. They want you to be weak so that they can control you. But Jesus Christ sees weakness as an opportunity. Romans chapter 5. Look at verse 6. He says, for when, for when we were still without strength. You see that? Is that weakness? Yes. When we were still without strength, what happened? Did He throw blame on us? Did He say, that's what you deserve? No. What did He do? He says it in that verse, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrated His own love towards us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, these leaders, they they say, 38 years you are lying there. It's because you've done sin in your life. And you, we want you to become more weak. Christ said, If you've done sin in your life, I've sent my son to this earth to die on a cross to take that sin away so that you might have life. Can you see the difference? The the content of these Jews, they had content for him and they had content for Jesus. The same is happening today. Under the banner of Christianity. Now let's finish this morning with this third group that's represented here. Look at this man, the complacency of this man. Verse 14. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more. I wonder why he said that. Lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. Now I want to suggest, and and it's true, it does happen, that sin will bring certain infirmities upon your life. It happens. Look at this verse here. He says, sin no more. It's an indication that his sin did lead to his sickness of 38 years. It's an indication thereof. We find it in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 15. He says, but it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all the commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. It happens. People continue with sin, and they get sick because of the sin. It happens. I can give you a a raft of them now, but I I don't want to get away from the message now. You want to continue in your sin? God will allow sickness to come upon you. He will allow it. You are looking for it, you're going to get it. Isn't that what our parents told us when we were younger? You're going to get what you're looking for. And here it's right there. He says, if you do not obey and observe my commandments, what will happen? All these curses will come upon you. The diseases and stuff will come upon you. Even in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 30, remember when Paul did the table. 
the communion table. He talks there about, you, you know, things happening. You come to the table in an unworthy manner. See what he says. He says, for this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. Meaning they are dead. And this is what Jesus said to this man, sin no more. Lest the worst thing come upon you. What can happen worse to him than lying there for 38 years? What can happen worse to him? He could die. He could die without Christ. That's even worse. Isn't that right? We have to look at these lessons and learn from them. But this is the complacency of this man. One would have thought that when Christ comes to him, that he will become a believer. Yes? Do you think this man has become a believer? After what Jesus has done for him, one would have think he would be rejoicing the whole time, preaching the gospel, proclaiming Jesus Christ, testifying about what Christ has done for him. See what happens. In verse 15, the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Oh, he is so afraid of these Jews now. The previously when they spoke to him, they said, Why are you carrying your bed on the Sabbath? He said, Oh, it's the man, but I can't find that man now. And instead of becoming, instead of becoming a believer, he becomes a rejecter. Is there a word like that? I think you know what I mean. He rejected him. He went to the Jews. He didn't have to go to the Jews and says he's Jesus. But he gives him away. He goes, it's Jesus. He told the Jews. In other words, he picked sides and he rejected Jesus. He'd gone straight to them. Why? Because in verse five, uh, chapter 5, verse 10, the Jews therefore said to him who was cured, it is the Sabbath. You see, they, they put down on him the law. They put down on them the rule. It is the Sabbath. It's not supposed to happen on the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to do this. And the fear of religion, the power of false religion grabbed this man. And he went back and he gave Jesus up. He says, hey, it's Jesus. Now, you could say it's a good testimony about Jesus who did that, but he, he went straight to the Jews. And he said, I've got that man's name now for you. And then it says, after that verse, they sought to persecute him and they sought to kill him. Why? Because he did it on the Sabbath. Oh, don't kill me because I carried my bed. Kill him. It wasn't me. It's his fault. But he was the compassionate Christ. Did you know that he went to the cross because of his compassion? Did you know that? Did you know that he bled and died for you because of his compassion? If he didn't show compassion, he wouldn't have gone to the cross. Come on, let's face it. He could have become one of the establishment. He could have become one of the religion. But no. He stared it in the face and he says, it is by him dying on the cross. Three people in this. Jesus in his compassion. The Jews with their content. And this man with his complacency. My question to you this morning is, are you rejecting Jesus for religion? Are you doing that? Think about this man. It is a fantastic miracle, no doubt about that. It is so wonderful that Jesus had the compassion. 
But the underlining message here is that he did it on the Sabbath. Friend, do not follow law. I've seen this happen. So let us be careful of that. Let's pray.